0: Welcome to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour and we do love happy hour and the clinking of glasses and cheers to all you fabulous women who are fully living your lives at every age and every stage. And here's the best news, every hour is happy hour. So whether you clink cheers with your coffee mug or your afternoon cappuccino, remember as the song says, it's five o'clock somewhere. Join us for some grown up fun, interesting and stimulating conversations that will motivate, inspire or just make you laugh. And for more grown-up fun, visit our website, The Three Tomatoes, and the three is spelled out, and sign up for our newsletters. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the episode. Well, greetings, tomatoes, and welcome to this episode of The Three Tomatoes Happy Hour. I'm Cheryl Benton, your host today. And let me ask you, are you feeling anxious and stressed? Do you have sleepless nights? Are you finding less joy in your everyday life? Well, you are certainly not alone. And with everything that's going on around us, the threat of global war, polarizing politics, the economy, the pressure of social media to measure up, and just everyday ordinary stresses, it's definitely taken a toll on many of us. So I'm very excited today because our guest is Dr. Greg Hammer, and he's going to help us all calm down (laughs) with some simple lifestyle changes that can make a significant difference in our overall well-being and our mental health. Dr. Hammer is a professor at Stanford University School of Medicine. He's a pediatric intensive care physician, a mindfulness expert, and the author of GAIN, Without Pain, The Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. So welcome, Dr. Hammer.
1: So great to be with you, Cheryl. Good morning.
0: Good, I'm so excited to talk to you because there's so many important things to cover here today. We really could use several podcasts to have this conversation, but um, certainly I think in recent years, discussions around mental health, uh, they are helping to bring, I think, a lot of serious mental health issues to the forefront. And it is helping to destigmatize them. But we do hear less talk about issues like anxiety, stress, sleeplessness, how that impacts our mental health and our well-being. So I, first, I just want to ask you, what is your definition of well-being and good mental health, or want of a better word? <laughs> I
1: like to make things very simple, as we were talking about briefly before we went on the air. I think that good mental health is equivalent to peace, love, and happiness. I think if we are happy, we are mentally well. Because in order to be happy, we need to be growing as a person. We need to be in community with others. And we need to be serving others. And I think without those three things, we are probably not going to be fully at peace. And after all, peace and happiness are equivalent. Happiness is peace in motion. Peace is happiness at rest. And I think really those are the elements of, of good mental health and well-being. Of course, there are pretty much requisites to that, which we also started to talk about before we began the recording, we have to attend to our mental health and our physical health, both. If those are out of balance, even if we are in community, growing personally and serving others, we're going to have a hard time being fully happy.
0: Yeah, well, I think that was just a a great um, description that you just gave us. And also the fact of how our mental health, our physical, all of our well being is, you know, it is all tied together. And one of the the things that you talk about, you call it the tripod of physical health, which is sleep, exercise, and nutrition, and how those are really key to our well being. So I thought first we would start with one of the biggies, which is sleep, because I know so many of us have sleep issues. Um And I and I know a lot of women, midlife women and beyond. You know, I hear this so often: can't fall asleep, or you wake up in the middle of the night, or you wake up and you felt you slept well all night, but you're exhausted the next day. So, let's talk about that a little bit. And I'm going to jam in a bunch of questions. (laughs) Each of us one question, but. You know, what are the benefits of sleep? How much sleep do we really need? And, and also I've heard when you get older, you need less sleep. I don't know if that's true or not. How do you define good sleep and how do we get it? Now, I know that I started wearing an Apple watch recently. So I'm now obsessively <laughs> looking at my sleep numbers, which I'm not even sure what they mean. But um, so help unravel some of this for us.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, it's not my uh, area of research per se, but um, you know, as we talked about again before we started recording, I think the the three elements that lead to our or on which our physical well being rest are sleep, exercise, and nutrition, as you said, and they're very much interrelated. Just like the gain elements, which hopefully we'll get into for our spiritual health, sleep, exercise, and nutrition are very much interrelated. For example, we're not sleeping well. And there's all kinds of insomnia, by the way. Some people have difficulty falling asleep. Some people have difficulty with early wakening or wakening repeatedly in the middle of the night. And then, as you said, some appear to sleep through the night but just don't feel well-rested in the morning. And and those are really all uh, different manifestations of sleep disorder. But sleep is so essential to our physical well-being. If we're not sleeping well we're fatigued. And when we're fatigued, we tend to exercise less. We're too tired to exercise. Well, exercise contributes to good sleep. So that again, feeds back to our sleep and and we don't sleep as well. We're fatigued. We don't exercise as much. We don't sleep as well accordingly. And then throw in our diet, which is so vital to our, our physical well-being and if, for example, we are, we've gained that COVID-19, I've heard the expression, we're overweight, we're not exercising, we're fatigued, we're not feeling very good about our bodies, we tend to be less disciplined about what we eat. So just as with our spiritual well-being, we need to have a plan. We need to have purpose. And that's the I and gain is intention. So we need to have the intention to be physically well. So that means we need to be purposeful about our sleep, first of all. What does that mean? Well, alcohol interferes with our sleep. Almost all sleep medications interfere with our sleep. Alcohol and sleep meds may facilitate unconsciousness, but they're actually interfering with normal sleep architecture. The the brainwave patterns that we experience when we're fully asleep and getting the restorative benefits of sleep. I'm sure people have read, or many of your listeners have read about sleep, about alpha, beta, delta, REM sleep, the role of dreams. Uh, When we have alcohol proximate to the time of bed, or we take even an over-the-counter sleep med, which may have diphenhydramine or Benadryl in it, Benadryl and alcohol and The sleep medications by prescription all interact with a receptor in the brain called the GABA receptor, G-A-B-A, that stands for gamma-aminobutyric acid. And when that GABA receptor is stimulated, it promotes unconsciousness but interferes with normal sleep. If we look at the EEGs of people who just had a glass of wine before they went to bed or you know, took an over-the-counter or prescription sleep medication, their, their EEG is not normal. And they don't get the normal, fully restorative benefits of sleep. And I'm sure people who have had a couple of drinks proximate to the time of bed will recognize that they don't wake up feeling perfectly well-rested. Caffeine is another thing. Caffeine has a very long half-life. And if you're sensitive to caffeine, like I am, That is an important fact, and we again need to go back to our intention to sleep well. That means we need to intentionally avoid caffeine, even for me in the afternoon, because if the drug caffeine has a half-life of five or six hours, that means the bloodstream concentration of caffeine that results from a strong cup of coffee at eight o'clock in the morning uh, may may be 50% present, six hours later at two o'clock in the afternoon. So you have almost like as though you had half a strong cup of coffee at one or two in the afternoon and a quarter of a strong cup of coffee six, six hours later, or, you know, six or seven or eight o'clock at night. So that would certainly keep me awake. Now, if I have a cup of coffee in the afternoon and I used to think, well, as long as I have it before two o'clock, I'm okay. And. I realized it was actually interfering with my sleep. So that one o'clock cup of coffee is like having half a cup at seven o'clock in the evening or a quarter of a cup at midnight or one o'clock in the morning. So we need to really decrease the amount of caffeine we have even in the morning. And certainly if we're sensitive to caffeine, not have it at all after 10 o'clock or so in the morning. So caffeine, sleep, normal and regular wake- and sleep time. So going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time, avoiding screens proximate to the time of bedtime. It's not just the blue light, but it's it's also other elements of interacting with our screens or even just watching uh, television in bed. So we should try to avoid that at least an hour before we go to sleep. Um, you know, for someone who is distracted by all the things we may have to do the next day, make a list. So you can kind of forget about it when you're trying to go to sleep. So, I mean, these are just all relatively obvious things and we could go on, but uh, we have to have a a plan. In other words, we have to have good sleep hygiene.
0: Well, I I like that term. So, and you certainly gave me a few things to think about. That glass of wine before bed is not a good idea, number one, (laughs) So let's just talk a little bit about the exercise and nutrition, and then I really do want to get into talking about um, gain and the Happiness Handbook because I think you have so many um, really ter- terrific pieces of advice for all of us. So, but let's let's talk a little bit about the exercise and nutrition and how that plays into um, our well-being, our mental health.
1: Sure. Well, you know, exercise is a little bit like meditation in the following way. Many people think, well, exercise means working out for an hour and a half, uh, you know, five days a week, doing heavy weights or a lot of resistance, doing major cardio, what, what we used to call aerobic exercise. And, and that's still the appropriate term. Um And so they don't, they don't ever get started or they try to do that and they fail. Meditation is like that too. We can talk about that because a lot of people think that meditation means you have to sit still for half hour without scratching an itch or having a thought in your head, uh, possibly even putting your right ankle behind your left ear. No, it doesn't mean (laughs) that at all. And exercise, similarly, some is good you know, more is better up to a point and then not necessarily so, but, uh, people talk about the winter blues. And I think there are several reasons why many of us experience that. And one of them is we don't get enough exercise because we may be going to work and it's dark when we leave. It's dark when we come back and we just don't go for those walks. Of course, we're not experiencing nature to the same degree, which is another really important element of well-being, but, Exercise can just mean going for a power walk around the block. So if you're working from home or uh, you get up early and have enough time before work or when you get home from work, even if it's dark, there's all kinds of uh, rechargeable lights that you can have that you can put around your neck or what have you. Go for a vigorous walk, even if it's just around the block. It's helpful. And then maybe go around the block twice. if you have a dog? walk the dog, take the dog on a good long walk. So that's exercise, that counts. And then of course, you know, there are recommendations from various uh, scientific bodies that recommend X number of hours a week and so on. But I think if you're not doing any, all you have to do is start doing some. I think uh, that not only is aerobic exercise important, and that means generally Getting your heart rate up to, it can be done with a formula if you're measuring it, or just getting your heart rate elevated for even as little as 20 minutes at a time is important. Resistance training. And if you don't have access to a gym um, or you don't have facility at home, you can get some bands that stretch and there's lots of exercise regimens. I think resistance training, especially for women, as they go through and are post menopause is extremely important it helps keep their bones strong as as they tend to get osteoporosis and exercise overall is important in fending off so many disorders cardiovascular disease depression dementia there are more and more studies linking exercise to to longevity and and better mental outcomes so it doesn't have to be uh that you're exercising like crazy just get started
0: well i think that's great and i think you gave us some good pointers that anyone could get started today and it's it's little steps and if you do that day after day it actually does become a habit so um i think that feels good it, it yeah exactly and it and it feels good you know and the other thing too is sitting you know I work behind my computer hours and hours so I now have timers set that remind me <laughs> it's time to get up and move because that's so important and sometimes we just forget that as we get so engrossed uh, in a, in our day to day work so. Now I want to talk about your book because you wrote this book. I know you call it a guide to, for healthcare professionals who, gosh knows, could need all need all of that. But I, but I, I think it applies to really all of us. So first, I know gain is an is an, a, an acronym. So tell us what that stands for, and then let's talk about some of the pieces of that.
1: Sure, gain is an acronym. It's it really represents what I think are the four elements of mental health and spiritual well-being and they are gratitude acceptance intention and non-judgment and they like the sleep exercise nutrition elements are very much interrelated and we could talk a little bit about that but you know when you're grateful you're accepting when you're non-judgmental it's because you're being intentionally so because it's not our nature to be non-judgmental. So gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment are really the keys to mental and spiritual well-being.
0: And I know you said, I, I know, I think I read something where you you were talking about the fact that we're, our brain is actually wired to think negatively. Was that correct? So yes, our brains are wired
1: a- in ways that, that tend to veil or interfere with our happiness, And that's why we need to be purposeful about the way we think and the way we are, therefore. And the good news is our brains have this amazing quality called neuroplasticity. And that simply means that as Michael Pollan wrote, we can change our mind. We can actually rewire our brain, but we need to have a plan. We need to have the I and gain or intention. And as you suggested, one of the ways that we all are wired is that we have a negativity bias. We tend to remember the negative and forget about the positive. And so for anybody listening who, who recognizes that quality in themselves, please don't be ashamed or self-judgmental because you're negative And this leads to a bit of depression or maybe more than a bit of depression. We are all wired that way. So, you know, I tell a story in the book of a a trainee I'm working with in the operating room. She does a great job taking care of four patients. There's lots of procedures to do, nerve blocks, putting in breathing tubes, catheters, and vessels. And she does everything flawlessly, but she can't get the IV or can't get an arterial catheter in a little baby, which is quite difficult. So I step in and do that. But the other 99% of the procedures and the cognitive decision-making, she does beautifully. So all the patients do well. She goes home, she's getting ready for bed. She's taking stock of the day. Does she remember the 99% of things that went well? No, she remembers that one procedure that she missed that I had to step in and do. And that's a very poignant example of a negativity bias. Why is it that we pick that one thing? Gee, my knee's a little sore. I'm just gonna, ah, can't help. Focusing on that. Well, you know, what a miracle that the rest of my body is actually working beautifully. And my other knee is fine. Right. So we pick that one little ache and pain and we whine about it. So that's a negativity bias. And the other thing is we have a very hard time being present. Our brains typically go to the past and the future and they overthink them. And with our negativity bias, when we overthink the past, we tend to think of things that make us feel ashamed embarrassed have low self-esteem and with regard to the future we overthink it and with our negativity bias we tend to generate a lot of fear and anxiety we think of the worst thing that can happen we catastrophize even though that that thing almost never does come to happen right, right. so these qualities interfere with our ability to be restful they lead to depression anxiety low self-esteem They put us in our own little shell because we don't want to reveal our apparent weaknesses and faults to others. And we all feel this way. But the good news is, again, that we can rewire our brains. We just need to have a plan. And the plan is rather simple. And that's what the GAIN method is really all about.
0: So I, I know we, we all need to go read your books. So we'll we'll know a lot more of that. But what are some of the things? I know you talked about meditation. Is that one of the things that helps us with absolutely attention so and-
1: yes? And so let's take a three-minute practice. Who doesn't have three three minutes? Um, you know, I tell my trainees and and others that I'm teaching. So instead of getting up at 6.30 in the morning, set your alarm for 6.27. Set your attention the night before to get up three minutes earlier. Uh, Go to bed three minutes earlier if you like. Get up in the morning, you open the blinds, you do your morning hygiene, you find a comfortable place to sit, you close your eyes, you get in touch with your breath. You focus on the in-breath, the pause, the easy, effortless exhalation, you slow those down a bit. You can count to three on the in-breath, pause to a count of four, and then let the breath go slowly to a count of four. And slowing the breath down actually lowers the amount of adrenaline in our body. It lowers our heart rate, our blood pressure. So we settle into this kind of beautiful way of, of being. And then we simply go through a brief contemplation of the gain elements. We start with gratitude. I am grateful for my loving family. I'm grateful, and in my case particularly, the job that I have the privilege to do to help other people. I'm grateful for my relative health and wealth, meaning I'm not poor, I've got food on the table, I I live in a safe place as opposed to other places in the world that we hear about every day. I'm grateful. Then we move to acceptance because pain is as much a part of life as joy and I lost my son five years ago at the age of 29. We've all lost loved ones. We've all experienced pain and discomfort. So l- normally we resist that pain. We try not to think about it. We, If it's about another person or a relationship, we depersonalize that other person. These are forms of resistance. And there's a formula in the book, suffering equals pain times resistance. So the pain is obligatory, it's just part of life. We can resist it and increase our suffering, or we can accept it, which is the opposite of resistance, and decrease our suffering. So we take this painful experience and we, we actually bring it closer and closer as we breathe intentionally, open our heart, we actually bring it inside our heart, envelop it with our heart, nurture it with our heart, and we ask ourselves, can I live with this pain forever? And the answer eventually is yes. And that is acceptance. And then we move to intention. Um, We might say, I'm gonna purposefully spend 10 seconds focusing on my bodily sensations. I'm feeling the pressure of the chair against my body. I'm feeling the tingling on the soles of my feet. I'm smelling the slightly sweet quality of the air I'm breathing. I'm hearing an airplane go by in the distance. So we're getting in touch with our present experience, which is not what our minds are wired to do. So we're rewiring our mind simply by experiencing the only moment we ever truly have, which is the present one. And we make a commitment to be more present in our life today and be more positive. And then we move to non-judgment. And the idea is that things don't have to be good or bad, which we are constantly labeling everything. So we might hear while we're in touch with our breath, picture one of these beautiful NASA images of the moon and think the moon is neither good nor bad. The moon is just a moon or the earth. The earth is neither good nor bad. It's just a planet. So it's only logical that I too am neither good nor bad. I'm simply the person that I am. I'm simply the person that I am. And then we go to the I am, and we may link this to our breath and repeat it as we intentionally slow our breath. And then we open our eyes slowly and we're ready to go out in the world. And it's a it's a brief practice, but it's beginning the process of rewiring our brain. And when we find we're being ungrateful or resisting or being unintentional and lapsing into our old ways of thinking, our old habits, or judging someone else or ourselves, a light bulb goes off. Because we did our gain practice that morning and we we begin to recognize when we're having these transgressions, which are inevitable because it's the way our brains are wired. But we can laugh to ourselves and simply reroute the thought and the experience. And so it's a simple practice, but it really helps rewire our brains and make us happier. And we notice a few months later, gee, you know, I'm so much less judgmental of that guy that changed lanes in front of me without using his or her turn signal. I'm (laughs) so much less self-judgmental. I really can begin to imagine that I'm talking to my best friend when I'm judging myself. And would I judge my best friend for the same sorts of issues? Of course not. I'm able to do that now a little bit more. So gradually, step by step, this is how we learn. We learn in small increments and baby steps. And I think this practice can really help all of us.
0: Well, I love that. And and you, you've outlined it so well. And for people who have tried meditation, I mean, I'll just say for years, you know, I had all those <laughs> images that you just talked about that you have to have not a single thought going through your brain and these crazy things. So I would try it. And of course, I could never get rid of it. So I felt like a miserable failure. And finally I had uh, I had someone who had a meditation practice. She was actually doing them on Zoom during COVID at noon. And and it and she too made it very simple. It was just really about breathing and just taking time to pause. And I find I'm not up a lot. I could do 10 minutes now, which <laughs> for me considering I couldn't even do a minute is is a lot. But I find just to be able to take that time to just sit and be quiet whatever's going through my brain and then it becomes less uh, has really made a difference and I think just all of those points that you just made make it will make it even easier to take that time because you're actually giving us things to focus on that are positive things with the gratitude the intention with really thinking and sitting and being in that present moment. So I I really thank you for that. I think that's great advice. And well, you know, the
1: breathing exercises, Cheryl are so important. You can always just get back in touch with your breath and calm yourself down. Your adrenaline level goes down, your heart rate and blood pressure go down, the cortisol and blood sugar in your body go down. So that's wonderful. But if you want to rewire the way you think, then you need to have a, a little bit more of a plan and you can link it to your breath and get both the benefit of the breath, and the rewiring processes at the same time.
0: I like that. Efficiency.
1: (laughs) Yes, I love that. I I love that I can suggest things that you can think about so you're not trying to banish all thought from your head. Yes, and they're good
0: thoughts to think. They're good ways of looking at things absolutely yeah and you have i i just kind of want to end with this so we could we could we could go on i'm gonna have to have you back um to do another session with us but you um you talk about and i think this is such an incredibly powerful statement that happiness is in the present moment and i think that is really powerful and so many of us have trouble grasping that. And you're right. We spend so much time on yesterday and worrying about tomorrow or stressing about tomorrow or planning tomorrow that we just can't sit and just be in that moment. So thank you so much for reminding all of us how important that is. And you've made my day happier. So thank you so much.
1: Well, you know, I I know we're almost out of time. I just want to give kudos to one of my heroes in life, Dr. John Cabotson, who's really- one of the fathers of mindfulness, he defined mindfulness, and I think it could be happiness, as awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. So there you have some of the gain elements and the emphasis on the present moment, which is so important. That's where happiness lives.
0: Oh, well, that's thank you for sharing that. It's an excellent piece of advice and an excellent thing for us to all take forward with us today and really think about it. So I thank you so much for being my guest and um, people can learn more and they can get your book at uh, Greg Hammer, H-A-M-M-E-R-M-D.com. And they'll get a lot more information. They can see some of your other interviews, learn, get the book and learn all about the gain process. And um, I thank you so much.
1: It's such a pleasure, Cheryl. I look forward to our next get-together.
0: Good. Have a great day.
1: (laughs) You too.